All right, Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to begin reading at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Jesus, we thank you for salvation, for love, for grace, for forgiveness, and all of these words that were mentioned just a while ago. We thank you for all of those things. But we realize that if it wasn't for these things that we get from you, that we all would be headed to hell. And we're thankful, Lord, that the majority of us are not headed to hell, but headed to heaven. But Lord, we understand that there are many people that are not going to heaven, and what we do has an impact on them, how we live, if we speak or if we don't. And so Lord, we pray that you'll do a revival in our church this week, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd understand what we need to understand about your love for us, but Lord, that we'd also understand about our responsibility and kick pick up our burden for the unsaved again. And pray, Lord, that you use this message toward the beginning of this meeting to help us to that end. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Years ago, there was a fellow named Robert Ingersoll, and Ingersoll was a preacher but he was not a preacher like I'm a preacher where I preach about Jesus. He was a preacher for atheism. And he would get up, and in the early 1900s, I think, he would get up and he would tell everybody there's no God and you don't have to worry about it. And he would tell everybody there's nothing to be afraid of, there's no hell, and that all this was was just something made up in the medieval times to try to scare people into obeying preachers. Well, after he was done preaching, there was a drunk man who was at that message, quote-unquote, and he said to him, Mr. Ingersoll, I really like what you said, and I really like the way you said it, but then he did say, are you sure that you're right about what you're saying, that there's no hell, because I'm counting on you? And certainly he was, if there was a hell, then of course this guy would be in big trouble. Now, it's not a very pretty subject, and it's not a very pleasant subject, and there's no way that anybody's going to enjoy the subject. In fact, we know that God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, but yet it's in the Bible that there is such a place called hell, and sometimes we've got to have a reminder of it that this place exists. Now, there are many ways that we could talk about this. Now, the passage that we read just now is talking about the great white throne judgment, And the great right throne judgment is a judgment where all unsaved people are one day going to go. Now, those of us who are saved have got a judgment that we go to. One day we answer to God for how we lived. 
if we obeyed him or if we didn't. It says we, believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or what? Bad. And so there will be some bad that revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. And as a Christian, you don't want to stand before God as a disobedient Christian. But this is going to be not to determine, um, this is not for believers, this is for unsaved people. And they stand at the great right throne judgment and they receive the degree of punishment that they're going to face in the final hill, the lake of fire. Now, there are lots of ways that we can look at this subject and be stirred about the importance of what we're doing, trying to keep people out of hell. But the way that I want to take it tonight is one day I was reading through my Bible, and I noticed that hell had a lot of different names. And I wondered, why did God give hell so many different names? And I realized that every word in the Bible is in there for a reason. And as I looked at it, I began to think, well, the reason that God must have given hell so many different names is because he wanted us to understand an aspect of hell that we might not get from any other name. So each name teaches us something about hell and how bad it is. And I remind us that God is not telling us how bad hell is because he wants people to go there. He wants to save people from going there. And so we have to understand the seriousness of it so that we would be serious about the work of God. So we kind of need a shot in the arm sometime. It isn't a pleasant thing. It isn't any pleasant to preach on. But as an evangelist, we kind of need to have that shot in the arm. So I'm going to preach on the subject of hell, and we're taking it in this approach. What is hell like? The names describe it very well. Now, the first name that I want to draw our attention to related to hell is an Old Testament name, and it's the name Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Now, it's translated in our Bible, hell, and it should be, but it's from the Hebrew word sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Now, sometimes when the word is used, it's talking about the grave, where our bodies go in a casket, they drop us down the grave, they throw dirt on us, okay? But then at other times, it is talking about the place of eternal punishment that God died to save people from going to, and that is referring to hell. Now, when we look at this word, we hear from some of these verses that it is a place of fire, Deuteronomy 32.22. It is the place of sorrow, Psalm 18.5. But what I want to do is look at something that we might not get from any other word from this word. We know in other places it has fire. We know in other places that people are screaming and crying in hell. But what can we learn from this one that we might not get from the other ones? Okay, here's what I get from it. I'm not God, I may be wrong, but here's what I get from it. I think that this verse is teaching and affirming the location of hell. And it seems to teach and affirm that hell is down. Isaiah 5.14, they descend into it, so it is down. Psalm 55.15, go down quick into hell, so there it is down. Proverbs 7, 27, speaking of the prostitute, her house is the way to death, going down to the chambers of hell. So it seems to indicate from many other verses, which I won't read, that it is down. 
But just so we can see it with our own eyes, let's all take our Bible and turn to Amos chapter 9. And you're going to hear me say this over and over and over, that God doesn't want us in hell, and God doesn't want anybody else in hell. And you'll be reminded that I believe that most of us in this room are on our way to heaven because we've already been saved. But we've got to have a burden for people that are not going to heaven so that we'll get busy at the work of God if we've gotten slack at it. All right, now, Sheol going down, Amos chapter 9 and verse 2. It says, though they dig into hell, then shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up into heaven, then shall I bring them down. Now, the verse is teaching if you climb high enough, you'd eventually get up into heaven. But it also teaches if you dig deeply enough, you'd eventually dig deep down into hell. And when we're digging, typically, we are digging in the earth. So it seems to indicate what we've also believed, that heaven is up and hell is down. Now, why is that significant? If you study what the earth is made out of, the core of the earth is extremely hot. The core of the earth has two parts to it. There's that outer core, and that is estimated to start at 3,200 degrees. I didn't say 32 degrees. I said 3,200 degrees. And the deeper that you go in the core of the earth, the hotter it seems to get. Now, that's the outer core, but then you go to the inner core, which is deeper than that, and that's estimated to get up to 13,000 degrees. Now, it's 13 and a half times the density of water, but you could move around in it. And I'm just saying it would be a horrible, horrible place for anybody to have to go to. And when people go there, though we don't like it, and remember that God doesn't like it, that it was not created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. When people go there, they burn and they burn and they never die. Now, if it's 1,800 miles down, think about this. I stop my foot. 1,800 miles below where I just stop my foot, there are likely souls that are suffering. 1,800 miles below where you're sitting, there are likely souls that are suffering. It's hard to wrap our mind around it. But it does seem to be supported that the center of the earth is that hot. Now, my mother used to tell me years ago, whenever I was a boy, whenever you go to the graveyard, don't step on the tombstones. Did anybody else have a good mom like mine? And so today, whenever I'm in the graveyard, I always walk around where the tombstones are, and I walk around where the body might be buried, and I do that out of respect for the dead. But if hell is in the center of the earth, which God doesn't want anyone to go to, I know I'm saying that a lot, but don't get mad at God. He's not trying to send people to hell. He's trying to keep people from going there. But people are going there, and it's this bad enough of a place. If hell is in the center of the earth, every step that I take, I am taking over people that are burning in up to 13,000 degree temperatures. Think of it. Now, I've talked to miners before, and they've gone deep down into the mines and they have told me that they've heard things. I heard a recording from one miner, and he said, actually from a preacher who said that this is something deep down in the center of the earth, that they bore a hole and they went down several miles, and they heard these sounds. And it sounded like a lot of people screaming, and it sounded the most eerie sound that I think I've ever heard. 
But I also understand that these things could be fabricated with today's technology, so I don't put a lot of stock in that. But I have talked to miners who have gone deep down into the mines, and I've asked three. That's all I've asked. Have you ever heard strange sounds deep down when you're really deep in the mines? And three out of three, I'm not exaggerating, three out of three said, oh, yeah. Now, I don't know what they're hearing. I don't know what it is. But I do know for sure that there is a hell, and I do know that God doesn't want people to go there. And it's likely in the center of the earth. Now, how burdened are you about the reality of this place called hell and trying to keep people from going there? Now, the second word that I want to look at is an Old Testament word. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 30, and we'll read verse 33. Isaiah 30 and verse 33. This is the word tophet, T-O-P-H-E-T, tophet, Isaiah 30, 33. For tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large, the pilder of his fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Now it says it's deep, it says there's fire, it says there's much wood, and it talks about brimstone. Now we know from other verses that there's brimstone in hell, but what I'm trying to do is get something from this verse we might not get from any other name, and what can we get from this, the word tophet, which is referring to hell? I think it is what is associated with the idea of a tophet. Now, this is ugly, but years ago, when the Israelites worshipped a false god named Molech, in part of their worship, they would have human sacrifices. Now, in their human sacrifices, they would have a tophet, which was a brass statue of, of the god Molech. And the brass statue would be seated like this, and it would be hollow. And then an idolatrous priest would put fire in the back of the tophet, and it would get full blaze. And the whole body of that idol was hollow, and it had holes in the fingers, eyes, nose, and mouth. And then they would begin to beat drums. And as they would begin to beat drums, they would pick up the speed, sort of like you might in a rock and roll concert, and they'd work people up. And then a woman who had promised to dedicate her baby for the worship service to the idol would walk forward and lay her baby in the top it where there was a huge ball of fire. They would put the fire in the back, and the fire would come out the fingers, the eyes, the nose, and this ball of fire would be on the lap, and they'd put that baby in there, and it would burn. A horrible thing. Now, I know that this is not necessarily the most pleasant way to start a revival meeting. But think about this. This was in there in the Bible to teach us the seriousness of eternal things and the seriousness of what we're doing. And we've got people all over this room that know other people that aren't going to heaven, and I'm thinking we don't have time to wait until Thursday to get pumped up. We've got to get pumped up today to try to get people in this week. Now, as they would beat drums, the baby would begin to burn, and as it would begin to burn, then the baby would scream. So they would continue to beat the drums. 
And as they beat the drums, they would, cry, they would drown out the cries from the baby. Now, if you understand what this is talking about, you get the idea that in hell there are going to be these two things. One, there's going to be a whole lot of screaming. Now, anybody who is thinking would understand that if there are people that are suffering, there are people that are screaming. Now, I have heard some people scream before in such a way that it put chills up and down my spine. I took emergency medical training years ago, and I was trained to work in the back of an ambulance. And this particular day, they trained me by putting me in the Greenville Memorial Emergency Room, and they brought in a man who had been in a knife fight. He was stabbed in his back. You could put two fingers in the hole in his back, and you'd go right in his lung. We had to cut the side of his chest open, put a four-inch tube in to drain the chest cavity just to keep him alive. And he was cut in his head. You could see the bone on his head. It was a horrible thing. But when they worked on him, they brought in another ambulance, and a woman had a broken hip. Now, she wasn't going to die, but she was in a lot of pain. So they brought her in, and they assessed her and said, she's okay for now. Let's go back and help this guy. He's about to die. So everybody went back to work on him, and they simply pulled a curtain between this woman and us, and they went back to cutting and sewing on this man, even with no painkiller. Now, I could handle all that cutting and bleeding, but what got to me was that woman with a broken hip. I kept hearing her scream, Doctor, I'm in pain. Doctor, give me some relief from the pain. Help me. Doctor, give me something. And her screams may be nauseated. Now, nobody would think that I'd be exaggerating or anybody would be exaggerating to think about how this is a serious thing. When people do go to hell that we're trying to keep from going there, the only way we can keep them from going there is love and Christ. And we've got to love them enough to tell them. We've got to care about them enough to get them under the gospel. We've got to live our life in such a way that they listen to us if we talk to them about God. And the only thing standing between them and hell is people that will tell them about Christ and live Christ before them. So we've got to get this burden and think about this. Not only are there people that are burning or those that are headed to hell are headed to 13,000 degree temperatures, but they also are headed to a place where they're screaming and screaming and the screams never stop. They get louder as more people who die without Jesus die and go to hell. Now, that is not being sensational. That is being biblical. In Luke 16, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am tormented in this flame. And he cried and said, Father Abraham. Now, our view of hell is not beautiful, but it is necessary for us to have a burden to stop people that are going there. Now, not only are there screams, but likely there are pounding sounds. Now, as they would beat the drums and they would beat the drums, you can understand how horrible that would be. Imagine going to hell and in hell, you are burning in 13,000 degree temperatures, but then on top of that, you hear pounding sounds. Now, I'm going to do something that's a little awkward, but if you think it's awkward for you, you ought to be the evangelist. 
And don't get up and run out of here, but imagine in 13,000 degree temperatures, you're hearing pounding and pounding, and then you hear screams. Now, don't run out of here, but here's the awkward part. You hear, oh, 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 and the screams get louder as more people die and go to hell. Now, I know that's a little awkward, but I also understand it's definitely not exaggerating. And I don't think that we think about how serious the place of hell really is. Now, take your Bibles and let's turn to a New Testament word. And this is Gehenna in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading at verse 43, Mark chapter 9. Now, I know that there are many people here that already you care about the souls of men, but I care about the souls of men too. And in order for me to keep my burden, I've got to keep an understanding of what is at stake. And we all have to keep that understanding or we just coast through life without going after the souls of men. And I'm personally praying that God would give me 100,000 souls before I die. I want to see people saved and we can All right, now let's look at Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, a New Testament word translated properly in our Bible, hell, but not correcting the Bible or anything, but it helps to understand it's a different word. Mark 9, 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter in the life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, Gehenna, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Now verse 45. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter a halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell. That's the word Gehenna. Into the fire that never shall be quenched. So the flames will never be quenched, and these words are saying it would be better for you to lose your eye or lose your foot or lose your hand than to do some sin with your eyes or your foot or your hands that would put you in hell. Now, sometimes people think that if you're a kind person, you should not preach on these things, and I'm not justifying me. But people say you should preach like Jesus preached, and if you preach like Jesus preached, we'll reach more people, and you preach love. Now, how many of you have a red-letter edition Bible? All right, if you do, you'll notice here in Mark chapter 9 that these words are in what color? Red. Now, if they're in red color, then who is the one who's actually preaching this in Mark chapter 9? These are the words of Jesus. Now, so this passage that is saying that if your foot offend you, cut it off, I don't think that Jesus was going like this. Like some preachers do, if thy right eye offend thee, ha, pluck it out. If your foot offend you, ha, cut it off. I think he was saying this. This place is so bad that if you're doing something that could put you in hell, get rid of it. If it's your eye, this place is so bad, you'd be better to pluck your eye out than to go to hell. Don't go to hell. He's saying, if your foot is taking you into a place that it should not take you, and that would put you in hell. 
you would be better, Jesus is saying, to take a chainsaw and chop your foot off so you couldn't be tempted to go and get in a place of ill repute rather than die and go to hell because you won't stop doing it. And he's not saying it in a mean way. He's saying, I've seen this place. It's real, and I don't want you to go there. Now listen, I don't know the condition of any and everybody here, but I do know this. Maybe not everybody here is going to heaven. And I know this. The Bible says that people die and go to hell for one reason. They don't have Jesus genuinely as their Savior. That's it. But the Bible also says that we must genuinely have Jesus as our Savior. We do go to hell. And here's what it teaches. There are things that you can do with your eye that are bad enough sins that if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, you'd go to hell for that. And then there are Christians that are doing some of those things. There are places, Jesus said, where your feet can take you. Going into a bar, going into strip joints, going into a place that's evil, and your foot will take you to that place, and if you are born again, it will not put you in hell. But there are places that you go with your feet that if it wasn't for Jesus, it is a bad enough thing that you burn in hell for that. And we have such a light view of the sins that we're doing. And God is saying, if there is anybody here who is not a Christian, you would be better to lose your foot than to walk into a bar and end up in hell because you won't turn from your sin. Now, God is not saying that because He wants us to suffer in hell. He's saying that because He wants to keep us from going to hell. And He uses these words and they show an aspect of the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of hell. Now take your Bibles and let's look at another word, and this is in Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation chapter 9, I know it's dark, I know it's not enjoyable, but sometimes we don't think about the seriousness of this thing. Now in Revelation chapter 9, it is talking about people that are going through the tribulation period, which is also a time of judgment for sin. Thank God for forgiveness, thank God for love, thank God for grace, and all of these things. And because of those things, we can get forgiveness from sin, but if we don't get it, there's judgment for sin. That's why Jesus came, to pay our sin judgment, our sin debt. Now, in Revelation 9, it talks about the tribulation period, and it talks about a couple of things that are going to take place. We'll maybe talk about this more on Wednesday. But it says, The fifth angel sounded, and saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key, here it is, to the bottomless pit. Bottomless, that's the first word. Pit, that's the second word. Now, the first word being bottomless is the word A-B-Y-S-S, and that means boundless, meaning you could go up, you could go down, you go over, and you go over, and you never get out. But here's what God is teaching accurately. If somebody goes to hell, they will fall, and they will fall, and they will fall, and they will never stop falling. Now, somebody says, how in the world does that happen? I just simply say, if God said it's bottomless, it's bottomless. And if the earth is moving at 68,000 miles per hour, 19 miles per second around the earth, if hell is in the center of the earth, as it spins in its axis around the core of the earth, 
that would give this sensation as you spin and you spin and you spin of falling and falling and falling. I don't know how God's going to do it, but it is a serious thing. Now, some generations take it seriously. The D.L. Moody generation took it seriously. The R.A. Torrey generation took it seriously. Our generation doesn't take it seriously. And there used to be a time when people would actually pick up the Bible and say, what's it saying? And you know why? Because they should. Because everything this book says is proven to be true as ugly as it is. Don't forget, as beautiful as it is too. Because it talks about forgiveness that can come from the great love of Jesus Christ who died for us for our sins. And if anybody dies and goes to hell, they'll have to step over the love of God. So now, as we see this word, it is bottomless. So not only will they burn in the 13,000 degree temperatures, if it is that hot, they will hear pounding sounds, and they will hear screaming sounds, and it will drive men to the brink of insanity, and on top of that, it teaches they will be falling and falling and falling. Now, when I was a boy, I used to have some nightmares And one of my nightmares was there was this beautiful woman, and I remember she was 26 years old, and I was 12, but we were madly in love. So in my dream, she would meet me at the street, and I would be walking up to see her, and she'd pull up in a black limousine. She'd get out of that black limousine, and I would walk up waving like this, and she'd be waving like that at me. And then the guy who was driving her, the chauffeur was the bad guy, and so he went back to the trunk, and he'd open up the trunk, and he'd pull out a shovel. Now, I knew what he was going to do, and he would do it. He'd walk up behind her with his shovel, and he was going to hit her on the head, and in my little dream, in slow motion, I'd go like this, no! run, stop, and I had that nightmare, and I get there just in time to see him put the shovel down, hit her on the head, she'd fall on the sidewalk, she would die, I need a psychiatrist, so I had that nightmare, and another nightmare that I had was there was this giant two uh, car garage door, two doors, And I'd be walking toward one of them like this, and I knew what was going to happen. And sometimes it would happen 10 feet away, sometimes 8 feet away, sometimes 2 feet away. All of a sudden, this giant, 6-foot-tall, white bunny would jump out and grab me. And I had that nightmare for a long time, and that was a bad nightmare. But the worst nightmare that I ever had was not the one where I went to church in my underwear, though I did have that one too. That was bad. But the worst nightmare that I ever had was one where I was falling and falling and falling. Now, how many of you ever had that nightmare when you were growing up? Okay. They say that if you hit bottom before you wake up, you die. Did anybody here ever hit bottom? You did. Did you die? I guess it doesn't happen then. So anyway, it was a terrible nightmare, but just imagine in reality the way hell is, is not only do you burn, but you fall and you fall and you fall and get this, 
the Bible teaches that there's something that comes out of the bottomless pit. All right, let's go ahead and look at verse 3. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. To them it was given that they should not kill them. They're not going to kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now, during the tribulation period, it teaches that God is going to open up the bottomless pit and it's going to vomit up these demonic beasts. And as you read about them in the following verses, 6 through 10, I think, they have the face of a man, hair like a woman, teeth like a lion, an iron chest, a tail like a scorpion, and they latch on in the tribulation period and they sting people. And the pain is the pain of a scorpion sting, and the pain lasts five months. Now think about this. If they come out of the bottomless pit, don't they have to be in there before they can come out of there? Now, take your Bibles and turn back to um, another one. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, and I've got this and one more, and we'll be done. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Now, this word is only in the Bible one time. It's translated hell, and it's rightly translated hell. It is referring to hell, but I'm just simply pointing out it is different than the other times that hell is addressed. It has a different Greek word. All right, now here's the word. It's the word T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, Tartarus. Now, 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus, hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, it goes on to teach that God is not going to let men off the hook and that they would be held accountable for their sin unless they get forgiveness. Now, how many of you believe that there are such things as demons? Okay. Though we don't look for them around every corner, the Bible says there is such a thing as demons. How many believe that demons are, as this verse says, reserved in chains of darkness so that they are in chains and they are being held there until the final judgment and they will ultimately be cast in the lake of fire. Is that true? So they're in chains of darkness. But let me ask you something else. How many believe that demons actually do possess people on earth sometimes? Now that's what's wrong with your kids. No, that's just your kids or kids. But demons really do possess people on earth. I've met at least two that I'm convinced were demon-possessed. I go to Haiti. Of course, we've seen this kind of thing. But anyway, there really are such things as demons. Now, here's the question. Are demons in chains right now, or are demons walking around the earth and doing the work of the devil and tempting people? Which is true? Are they in chains or are they around the earth? Which is true? Both. And why do we point that out? That means that evidently there are degrees of punishment for demons. 
Now, some were so bad when the fall of man came, the fall of the demons came, that God put them in chains so they couldn't do the greatest harm to man. But some were less dangerous to man, so God let them walk around and do the work of the devil, tempting people, and that is giving man a free will. That way we're not robots. We choose to follow God because we want to, not because we're robots. But then there are other demons that I think are right now in the bottomless pit, and they will be opened up the bottomless pit during the tribulation. They'll be vomited up, and they're the worst of them. So what it points out to me is that there are degrees of punishment for demons, and it made me think, are the degrees of punishment there for man? They are. And what it teaches is that hell will be worse for some than others. Romans 2.5, get this, after thy hardness and impenitent heart, unrepentant heart, treasureth up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath. Now think with me. If I treasure up baseball cards, I'm collecting baseball cards. If I treasure up gold, I'm collecting gold. If I treasure up wrath, I'm collecting what? Wrath. Now, it's not a pleasant thought, but hell will be worse for some than others. Now, how do you get a hotter place in hell than somebody else? Now, one thing that is very clear about making it a hotter place for you is hardness. Hardness. It says, after thy hardness treasureth up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath. Now, there are times as an evangelist where you try to have a mix of love and sternness. And when I go in, I don't know everybody, but I do know this. Some with compassion making a difference, but others save with fear. Snatching them out of the fire, the Bible says in Jude. And in both cases, it's because God wants people to be saved. But here's what it is teaching. The person who says, no, I'll do what I want. No, I'll do what I want. No, I will do what I want. That is hardness. And then, impenitent heart. That means, no, I won't repent. No, I won't repent. No, I won't repent. No, no, no. Month after month, week after week, year after year. And God says what you're doing is you're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. And you know what God is saying? The hottest place in hell, I'm not just saying this as a preacher, it's right there in the Bible. You treasure wrath because of your hardness and impenitent heart. The hottest place in hell is not for the drug addict. It's for the churchgoer that pretends to be saved but isn't. And it's the person who says, no, 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 no. And they have that impenitent heart, and they will not get right with God. Now, there are times when somebody can go through a stage of being backslidden, but I tell you what, God says we better make sure that we're born again. And if you know you're born again, don't let me shake you of your faith. But if you don't know you're born again, 
Hell is too hot for you to treasure up all the wrath for the rest of your life. It's time to repent and genuinely be born again. Now, it teaches that there are degrees of punishment. So, is everybody in this room on their way to heaven? I'll say this. If there's one child not going to heaven, it's one too many. If there's one teenager not going to heaven, it's one too many. If there's one woman or if there's one man, for me, it's one too many. When every one of us could be on our way to heaven. But the hardness, no, no, no. You treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. Do you know you're born again? You know you're born again? You know you're born again? Know you're born again? Do I know I'm born again? If we fake it, we split hell wide open anyway. And it's not going to be a good day. Now, let's take our Bibles and let's turn back to the last one. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. And in Revelation 20, and the only one that can help you is you. You have to decide. I'm going to be serious about the things of God. I'm going to be serious, make sure I'm going to heaven. If I'm not sure, I need to be. And then we've got back where we started, Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. Now, it says again, I saw the great white throne, this is all for unsaved people, him that sat on him from whose earth the face and the earth and the heaven fled away from his face. And then he says in verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. They were judged, every man, according to their what? Works. Verse 12, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their what? Works. Now, is this going to be determining whether we go to heaven or hell? No. What determines if we go to heaven or hell is if we have received Jesus. If we've received him, it's done. But the only way to receive him is we have to want to receive him. It cannot be your husband's thing, your wife's thing, your mom's thing, your dad's thing. You've got to receive Jesus for you. And if you have not received God, you're in great danger. And so you've got to make sure that you are born again. Make sure that you're not pretending to be born again, because that won't help you. And if you are somebody who's not born again, you will be judged for your works. Why? The sins that you do that you think are not going to matter will matter, and they will add to your wrath account. God will say, for every time you did that, every time you did that, every time you did that, God will say, turn up the temperature. Put him in the deeper spot, and it will be the worst for the one that continues in sin or the one that rejects God and hardens his or her heart. Now, I'm preaching very strongly, but I'm telling you, you don't want to mess with this thing. You don't want to go to hell. Now, the last word that we're going to look at, though, I want you to see in verse 14. It says, and death and hell were cast into the what? Lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right, look up here. We're just about done. Lest you misunderstand, I really don't like doing messages on hell, but I do them because we need them. But think about this. The last name that we didn't talk about is the lake of fire. Now, it says that hell 
is cast into the lake of fire. You know what that means, guys? That means there must be two hells. And girls, you know what that means? Must be two hells. Okay. Now, if hell is cast into the lake of fire, then hell and the lake of fire have got to be two different places, right? Now, all these things that we've talked about, as horrible as they are, you think about them and you say, wow, that's like so big, I can't wrap my head around it. That's like horrible, yes. But I want to remind us of something. That's just the first hell. Now, if the first hell is as bad as it is, and it is, then God casts people into the place of eternal judgment, the lake of fire. If the first one is this bad, think how bad the lake of fire has to be. Now, I close with this. Years ago, I saw a gospel track, and when I saw that gospel track, I don't remember the words in it, but I remember a picture in it. Anybody else learn through pictures like I do sometimes? And the picture was a long, windy road, and there were all these people walking down the road. Maybe you've seen it. And the artist, when he drew the picture, he drew below the road, a cliff on both sides of the road and a cliff on the end of the road, and he drew people walking this road, and below that, below the cliffs, on both sides and at the end, he drew the flames of hell. And you would see the flames just popping up, and in one place you might see somebody with their head sticking up out of hell in their hands like this, and there's obviously in pain and screaming, and in another place you'd see them going like this, and they were obviously in pain and screaming, And as people were walking down that road, which was a picture of life, eventually they'd all drop off at the end. Some would drop off a little bit earlier. That was picturing somebody dying as a teenager. It happens. And they dropped off into hell because they didn't take care of their soul. And over here, somebody dropped off into hell over there, probably somebody in their 20s, didn't take care of their soul. And you see them falling into the flames. And at the very end, they all were walking off the cliff, one at a time, some looking like they were smiling, didn't know their danger, some that were looking like they were just following the crowd, and they weren't even thinking about the danger, and one at a time, they dropped off into hell. And I don't remember the words, but I remember when I saw that picture how I felt. I wanted to get in front of them, and I wanted to stand there, and I wanted to go, Stop! Now, I couldn't do it in that picture, but I can do it in real life. And so what I'm trying to do is stand in front of anybody. If there's one person here that's, that's not going to heaven, it's one too many. And I'm trying to tell you the worst thing is of going to hell is that you didn't have to go there. And so I'm trying to say, stop. It's time to really think about your soul. You may not understand it all, but it's time now. Because you never know when you're going to drop off that cliff. All right, and the other thing is, if what I've said is true, and it is, then we need to be really really busy standing in front of people and going, stop, and trying to keep them from going to hell. Now, How many of you know at least one person that you care about that you're not sure they're going to go to heaven? At least one person, okay? So we've got to get a burden for them. I know it's a little strong tonight, maybe a lot strong, but we need to deal with these things. And we need to get very burdened for the unsaved that we know. Amen? Amen. All right, let's bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer.